Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. 2 Kings chapter 4, and we are picking up in verse 38. 2 Kings chapter 4, we're looking at verse 38. If you're looking at verse 38, say amen. Amen. Listen, y'all in the sanctuary, there are a few, let me tell y'all, there's a secret. There are a few people in the sanctuary, obviously the worship team, right? So, and then there are many of you at home. If you're looking at verse 38, say amen. Amen. Thank you. And Elisha returned to, where saints? Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophet were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, y'all looking at verse 38, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil some stew for the sons of the prophet. And so one went out into the field to gather herbs and to find a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds, underline that, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. And then they served it to the men, to the prophets, to eat. Now it happened in verse 40, as they were eating the stew, that they cried out and said, Man of God, Elisha, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. And so he said, Bring some flour, and he put it in the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Go back to verse 1, if you will. Elisha returned to Gilgal. Got your pen? Elisha returned to Gilgal. Elisha, his name means God is salvation. God is salvation. He succeeded Elijah. Bible students, I think you know this. He succeeded Elijah as a prophet in Israel. Elisha was a man of power. Elisha was a man of faith. Elisha was one of the greatest miracle workers in all the Bible. Elisha would be the guy you want to meet in heaven. You know, people think, well, when I get to heaven, who do I want to meet? I want to meet Elisha. He had some really cool miracles. Let me say it like that. He had some cool miracles. Don't you remember the healing of Naaman of leprosy? Remember the raising the little boy who was dead? And the Bible tells us, actually, it's earlier in this chapter. You read it in your own time. The Bible tells us that Elijah got on the little boy, and he matched his hands to the little boy's hand, and he matched his face to the little boy's face. And the boy's body, remember, began to warm up. Elijah then stands up. He turns around, and the boy then sneezes. He was dead, and now he sneezes. This is a great miracle. Elijah Help the widow get out of debt with pots of oil. Last week, were you with me? Last Wednesday, we talked about the floating axe head and the blinded Syrian army. 
2 Kings chapter 2. You write that down. Look it up in your own time. We have the vision of the chariots of fire. So there are many awesome miracles. You know, one of my favorite, I got to tell you this, one of my favorite miracles is in 2 Kings chapter 2. And don't turn there, but it's of Elisha. And Elisha was follically challenged. What do you mean, Pastor? He was bald like moi. He was bald. He follically challenged. He was bald-headed. And these kids, remember, this is a great story. These kids are mocking him. And they're calling him bald-headed. And they said, hey, bald-headed man, why don't you go up? Go up, bald-headed man. They're mocking him and saying, why don't you go up like Elijah went up in the chariots of fire? They don't believe it, but they're mocking him. And they're telling him to get out. We don't want you around here. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible tells us that Elisha pronounced a curse upon these boys. And when he pronounced the curse upon these boys, Bible students, you know this. When he pronounced the curse upon these boys, two mama bears came out of the woods and mauled, killed 42 boys. 42. That's a lot. Now, what do we learn from that? What do we learn? Don't mess with mama bears. Say amen. Any mom knows that. You don't mess with the kids. Mom, say amen. You don't mess with the kids. Great story. That's probably great. That's probably good nighttime reading. What do y'all think? Good nighttime reading. Okay, fine. Talking about miracles. 2 Kings 13. Even after Elijah had died, don't you remember? And he was buried. A group of men were walking along to bury their friend. And they see some Moabites. This is 2 Kings 13. They see some Moabites and they duck into the cave and they throw their friend's body near the body of Elisha. And when the friend's body touched Elisha's body, the friend came back to life. Talk about some great miracles That's a great miracle. The Bible tells us in verse 38, look at it again. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Keep your pen handy. There's a lot of stuff that happened at Gilgal. In our text, there's a school of the prophets in Gilgal. Gilgal was a location where Israel camped out after crossing the Jordan. Gilgal is the place where Saul later became king, 1 Samuel 11, Gilgal is also where David crossed the Jordan on his way back to Jerusalem. Gilgal is where circumcision was renewed and the Passover was kept and manna was ceased. Gilgal became a site of improper worship. Gilgal, write this down, very important. It means rolled away, rolled away. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 9 tells us that the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So Joshua tells us, stay with me, saints. Joshua tells us that Gilgal signifies the removal of Israel's former disgrace. Disgrace feels like shame. Disgrace feels like a burden. Are you following me? Disgrace feels like the guilt of sin, a sense of regret about poor choices and missed opportunities. So for Israel, God had rolled away disgrace. It's gone. It's left. It's in the past. Disgrace is forgiven and disgrace has been rolled away and it is forgotten. 
It makes me think of the story in Mark chapter 2. I was reading it today. Read it in your own time. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus, this is a great story, famous story. Jesus has become famous. Uh, Somebody sent out a Facebook message that Jesus was going to be in Capernaum. You'll get that later. Jesus is at the house of Peter. The house is packed for Bible study, and there's lots of people there. Don't you remember? There's four friends who gather a paralyzed man, and they throw the paralyzed man on the stretcher, and they get to the house because they're bringing their, their friend to Jesus. So they get to the house, and they find that Jesus is in the house, but they can't get through the front door because there's so many people. It's so packed. People are packed up against the door. And so these four friends come up with a great idea. What do they do? Y'all know they climb the roof of the house and they begin to 40 fingers began to peel back the tiles and they let the man down in front of Jesus. And what I wouldn't give to have a DVD of that one. They let him down in front of Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus teach a Bible study? All of a sudden, the, the what do you call it? The powder, the ceiling uh, uh, powder. Well, sheet rock, sheet rock. Thank you, thank you, thank you, one person. Well, there's only four in here, but okay, fine, a little more. The sheet rock begins to fall down. Jesus teaches, he's like, what's going on? He looks up, they've peeled it, they've peeled, they've peeled. Jesus looks up, the man comes down face to face with Jesus on a stretcher. And the man probably looked at Jesus and said, this was not my idea. I, I, this wasn't my idea, Jesus. So when Jesus, the Bible then tells us, watch this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. Actually, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Interesting. You know, it's good to know what the Bible doesn't say. It's good to read what the Bible does not say. And you notice here, Jesus didn't say, what are you doing tearing up this roof? Maybe Peter said, what are you doing tearing up my roof? Jesus didn't say, what are you doing tearing up this roof? Jesus saw the faith of the, of the few close friends, I call them, and he was happy because it takes faith to drag your friend across town in a bed. It takes faith from the man to allow his friends to take him across town to a place he's never been. You see, faith is an action word, and you should write that down. Faith is always linked to action. James 2, you know it well, don't you? Faith without works is what, saints? Hmm? Faith acts. Faith overcomes. Faith pursues. Faith is unconventional. Faith is unexpected. Faith does things. And when you're going through something really difficult, saints, it takes faith to believe that Jesus is there to help you. Many of us, thank you, honey, many of us are going through things right now. Many have lost jobs. I've gotten phone calls that I just lost my job or they just called me and lost my job. And, and it's good to, don't get me wrong, I, you know, we all know of the stimulus package. I'm not going to talk about that. But we all know of the help that the government is seeking to give the individual citizens of our country as well as our small businesses. And from Main Street to Wall Street, we'll leave it right there. All that's good. But saints, we are still called to have faith in Jesus because God is a very present help in a time of need, not Wall Street, not the government, God, not the Senate and not the Congress. Somebody say amen at home. God is a very present help. Jesus is there to help, to help us. 
So Jesus, watch this. He looked at the man. Stay here with me in Mark 2. Jesus looked at the man and he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, by this time, listen, this is, by the way, the first time in the ministry of Jesus that he says your sins are forgiven. They brought the man for healing. Jesus gave the man spiritual healing forgiveness. Being paralyzed is bad, but being lost is even worse. Spiritual healing is much more valuable than physical healing. Can two saints say amen? When Jesus heals a person, it's total healing. It's healing of the, listen to me close. When Jesus heals a person, it is total healing. It is healing of the whole person. God isn't into patchwork. You're into patchwork. God is not in the patchwork. Man is in the patchwork. We do a little this. We do a little that. We do a little this. We'll get to the projects and we kind of project and scale it out and so on and so forth. God doesn't do things like that. God heals. God does things completely and wholly. God, Jesus, can make us whole. Jesus can do what no man, priest, pastor, or person can do. Amen. Jesus can provide forgiveness of sin. No denomination or any other religion of the world will tell you only Christianity, listen to me, only Christianity promises the forgiveness of sin. No other religion in the world, go look at them, Islam and, and, and Buddhism and Hinduism and, and, and all the other religions of the world, they don't offer you forgiveness of sins. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Somebody asks you, well, what's so different about Christianity? You can simply tell them the forgiveness of sin. Christianity, through Jesus, offers forgiveness. And when God forgives, listen to me, can you write this down? It's total, complete, and comprehensive. When God forgives, it's total, complete, and comprehensive. When people forgive, it's more like probation. Yeah, I said it. When people forgive, it's more, like, it's more like probation. Like, hey, listen, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. Okay, that's probation. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. Listen, when God forgives, he doesn't put you on probation. Amen. When God forgives, he never brings it up again. He doesn't change his mind. Nobody can talk him out of it. And when he forgives again, wholly and completely, past present, and future forgiveness. Psalm 103, verse 12. I think you know it. As far as the east is from the... Where y'all at? As far as the east is from the... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. North and south. North and south. 12,000 miles, approximately. Go north 12,000 miles, and you'll begin to travel south 12,000 miles, and then go north again. I don't know about you, but I want my sins further than 12,000 miles. Jesus said, as far as the east is from the west, why? Because there's no distance between the east and the west. Your sins are forgiven and clean forever. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 38, Elisha came to Gilgal, rolled away. The land is suffering from a great famine and all the sons of the prophet are sitting with Elisha. Will you look at it? There's a famine. The famine is of food. Why? Because of the disobedience of God's people. You see, at this time, Israel had turned from the true and living God, and they turned to false gods. And it was Amos, in Amos chapter 8, in verse 11 and 12, says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, 
that I will send a famine on the land. It's not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water. Here's the famine. Are you looking at it? But of the hearing of the words of the Lord, they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to the east, and they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but it shall not be found. When a nation or an individual turns away from the Lord, that will bring God's judgment. Watch it. The judgment will also affect all believers. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said it rains on the just as well as the unjust. So the school of the prophets, believers are experiencing the famine just like everybody else. The famine, note saints, didn't break the prophets. It actually drew them closer. And when people reject God's word, listen, long enough, they stand before God with their fingers in their ears long enough and mock God and say, I don't want to hear you, God. God will often send something to wake them up. God will send them something to, send something to wake them up. I mentioned on Sunday, were you with me? I mentioned on Sunday that I did not know. The question comes to me often and even still today. Is the coronavirus, COVID-19, the judgment of God upon America? Um, one, it's a worldwide virus, so that's that. Two, I don't know, as I mentioned on Sunday, I tell you now, I don't know whether it's a judgment of God. I do know, and I do believe that God is speaking. I do believe that God is trying to get our attention as a nation because we, like Israel in our nation, don't be put to sleep. We have turned our hearts against the Lord. We have turned our backs on God in so many ways. That's a whole nother sermon. We don't have time. We have turned our backs on God. Somebody say amen. You're right about it, Pastor. I know. And when people turn their backs on God, God will send them a wake-up call. The coronavirus, I don't know it's God's judgment, but I will tell you, God is speaking, and I do believe it is a wake-up call. Look at verse 39. we got to move forward. Elisha said, put on a big pot. Are y'all looking at verse 39? Say amen. Are you home? Say amen. Put on a big pot. and Let's make some stew and feed the prophets. And one of the prophets went into the field. Watch that. And he found a wild vine. So one of the prophets goes into the field to gather some herbs and he finds a wild vine. This wild vine, you can write this in the margins of your Bible, is known as uh, wild cucumber. Wild cucumber. This vine grew in that area. It's very bitter. You can Google very bitter taste, caused severe digestive problems and death. So this one prophet, he goes and he chops up the vine. He goes and gets as many of these wild vines, throws them in a basket. He brings them back. He chops it up, puts it in the stew. They serve poison soup. And while they're eating, one of the prophets said, Elisha, or man of God, there is death in the pot. So saints, we go from death in the land to death in the pot. Now watch this. This man was sincere. He thought he was doing a good thing. I'm sure he did. He thought the food that he gathered was good, but almost sent everybody to the ER to get their stomachs pumped. His intentions were good, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not enough to be sincere. 
A person can be sincere in what they believe, but they can be sincerely wrong, right? The Bible says, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. So watch this picture. Here's the picture. The prophet calls out to the prophet of God, Elisha, for help because only God has the antidote to death. You know where I'm going. Only God has the antidote to death. Now let's review the story. There's a famine and people are hungry and dissatisfied. One of the students wanders off. He finds a wild vine, wild gourds. He's excited. He finds something that will satisfy. He fills up the basket. He brings them back. He cuts everything up in tiny little pieces. He mixes it in the soup. And then lastly, he gives it to others to eat. And they all learn what this guy ran off. Please tune in right here. Listen to me close. They all learn what this guy ran off and found, which was initially the answer to the problem, turns out to be death in the pot. The student, write this down, are the people. The field in scripture always represents the world, the world. The wild vines that produce death speaks of worldly philosophies. Now watch this. First John chapter two, verse 15 and 16. Bible students, I know you know it well. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, y'all come on, read it with me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, are you reading it? Is not of the father, but is of the world. Three great enemies of the faith. Look at it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three great enemies of our faith, of the Christian faith. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world refers to the world system, the world that is anti-Christ and anti-God. This world system tries to put pressure on the Christians to conform, and God looks at the world system as corrupt and dangerous and polluted. The world that is anti-God and anti-Christ is dangerous and polluted. The world, the flesh, the Bible talks about the flesh, The Bible is talking about our fallen nature, the nature that all men. Are y'all still with me? Say amen. The nature. Y'all say amen. You still with me? The nature that all men inherited from Adam. That's what we're talking about. It's a fallen nature. It's this nature that wants to control the body and control the mind. The flesh is the enemy of our faith because the flesh fights against the spirit. The world, the flesh, and finally, the devil is an enemy. He goes by many names, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the accuser of the brethren, many names. The devil is an enemy to God, and the devil, you guessed it, is an enemy to you because he opposes anything that is godly or godlike. Now, that's all bad news, but here's the good news, saints. Jesus Christ has defeated Satan when he died on the cross. Somebody say amen. Jesus Christ defeated Satan when he rose from the grave and he stole, the Bible says he stole the keys of death and hell. Jesus has gotten the victory over the enemy. Here's the good news. Jesus is coming. Say amen. And we're out of here. That's why I'm not worried. 
That's why, quite honestly, be honest with you, I've never been worried. And I'm never going to worry because this world is not my home. I am looking for Jesus Christ to come back and take us out of here before the great tribulation. We'll talk about these things a little bit later. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's good news for us that we're out of here. The bad news for Satan, he knows Jesus is coming. Amen. Satan is angry about that. He knows he only has a short period of time. Satan knows that. He knows that God is in complete control of the affairs of the world. He knows that God is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. Satan is not omniscient and omnipotent and I'm not present. Omniscient meaning know all things. Omnipotent means all power and omnipresent means he's everywhere at once. Satan can't be everywhere. You know, I've heard two people at different times in the same day tell me, oh, Satan is at my house. Look, Satan ain't at your house because somebody just called me and told me Satan was at their house. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.